We are the Marcelin Brothers, and this is the Marcelin Brothers Podcast, MBP for short. We are here to share our story and to contribute our thoughts about everyday topics in life. Time to sit back, relax, and get ready for the MVP attack. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? If you are either listening or watching us, you are definitely listening or watching us on the Marston Brothers podcast. Today is March 27th, 2019, and we are back again, Marston Cued. How's everybody doing today? A-OK. Great to be here. Great to be back. I'm doing all right, all right, all right. Okay. How about yourself? How are you doing? I can't complain. I think it's it's already Wednesday, so that's a good thing, which means two more days until Friday, which means the weekend will be upon us, so I'm definitely excited about that. Well, let's start off the week. Let's start off talking about the weekend. Marvin, how was your weekend? Y'all know that this weekend was fantastic. So my wife and I, we celebrated our first year anniversary. Congrats. And Congratulations. And we ended up going back home. Well, my home, rather. South Florida. It was great. Went to the beach, got some awesome pics, got to hang out with you two. We went out to dinner. It was just fantastic. It's one of those things where I think I would like to do short trips all throughout the year. It's very feasible the way that um, things are working out for me right now. So We'll see how long we can get this thing uh, or keep this thing running, but it was fantastic. Had a blast. What do you think about the first year? Well, the first year went by pretty quickly, but we've been together for like five years now. So even though we just got married or it's been one year, it, it still feels like I've been with my wife for a very long time. So. Every year that goes by, we get closer, things are good. Very cool, very cool. And it's cool, too, because you kind of got to start it off where it all started. So that's really cool. Yep, full circle. All right, what's going on with you, Christopher? How was your time? Uh, Not bad, not bad. Same old, same old. Lots of work. Um, I was able to sneak out for a bit and hang out with Marvin for a little bit. Um... Other than that, um, Ty has some friends in town, so it's good. Ty's been hanging out with friends. I also managed to sneak away for a little bit to hang out with them for just a bit, but otherwise, status quo. How about you? For me, this was great because finally all the surveys at the hospital, all the surprise visits, all the regulatory stuff, that is all finished and done with. So this weekend, I actually got to enjoy myself and not have to worry about what agency is going to come and do their annual survey. So all the surveys that the hospital did, we did fine. We were able to follow up with our action plans. And it's just a good feeling because now I can actually enjoy my weekend and not have to worry about what to prepare for for the next week. So that was kind of cool. And then, of course, hanging out with the family is always good on the weekends. So got to see Ophelia and just figure out how much she's learned She's to the point now whenever we go to the park together, she knows how to swing. She knows how yeah, to climb on the that. tallest. Cool. 
She can climb the stairs. She can go down the largest slide. She can maneuver everything on her own. And it's just amazing just remembering when we first started going to the park where she can barely just step up to go onto the playground. And now she's able to rule the whole playground like it's her own. So it's just so awesome just to see how much children can learn at such a small amount of time. So that's my joy. That's my passion. So I definitely had a good time with that. Good. Good. Time is flying. All right, Marvin. So this is your topic, Marvin. So I'm going to let you take point on this. Why don't you tell the audience what we'll be speaking about today and what we should be learning after today's discussion. All right. All right. All right. So today is the topic we'll be dealing with side hustles. Side hustles is something that is near and dear to me because at the end of the day, why not do something that can put more money in your pocket? I agree. Why do I think this is important? Well, big picture wise, uh, just talking with different people and trying to investigate what are the things that um, the richest people and the poorest people all have in common. The number one thing is time. Time is the only thing in this world that you cannot buy and you cannot get more of. The amount of time that we have is finite and it's just the matter of what we do with that time. So for me, the reason why I try to do these side hustles is so that I could eventually get to a point where time is my most precious commodity and I can spend that time doing the things that I want without having to worry about whether or not I have enough money in the bank or when the next paycheck is going to be coming in. And my thought process is I'm willing to put that time in now so that later on I'll be able to have more of that time at my disposal. So as you guys know, I'm a resident at one of the hospitals and my specialty is podiatry. But I wanted to uh, add more to my plate. And so I initially was trying to figure out different ways that I could essentially uh, decrease the amount of liabilities that I have. So I was reading and listening to different podcasts, um, specifically um, the teachings, if you will, of Robert Kiyosaki. And one of the premises that he tries to bestow upon us is trying to think about things as assets versus liabilities. Big picture wise, assets bring things to the table. They bring money to you. Liabilities take away, take money away. Um, one of the major things that I really learned from, you know, Robert Kiyosaki and a lot of the personal finance and uh, FIRE, Financial Independence Retirement Early Community is the concept of your house. Is your house an asset or is your house a liability? So after reading up and listening to a lot of these podcasts, I've come full circle. And initially, I used to think owning a home would be an asset, but I begin to see that it could potentially be a liability. Why is it a liability? Because um, while you're saving up for a house or you might have a mortgage, you're paying money each month. It's leaving your, uh, your bank account. And then little things like taxes, you're always going to have to pay taxes on them. 
But what if there was a way that you can change um, that liability into an asset? Uh, and so I started thinking about ways of changing my liabilities in life and trying to convert them into assets. So that's the big picture idea of what I was trying to accomplish. And case in behold, I did use my own house and I decided, all right, let's try this um, concept of Airbnb. And with Airbnb, uh, there's different types of uh, companies that, that do this. I believe like HomeAway, something, Airbnb. It doesn't matter what company you, you stick with, but I went with Airbnb. And what I ended up doing was I wanted to post my house on Airbnb because of me trying to change that asset or that liability and asset. So what do I mean by that? For example, if I am posting my house on Airbnb, could that potentially mean I can write off certain things? Case in point, internet. Could I write that off? Can I write off my um, gas, my electricity? So these are things that I was asking myself, is it possible to do so? And if I could, could I kind of argue that I'm turning my liability into an asset? And so that's the path that I'm on right now. And the cool thing about this is, for the most part, everybody lives somewhere. Whether you're renting or you own, you're living somewhere. You could potentially, and again, this episode is for entertainment purposes only. I can't tell you specifically if this is the right thing or a wrong thing. However, if you think outside the box, one could particularly uh, argue that even if you're renting, if you, you could potentially put your house up or your room or your apartment to some sort of service a couple days a month and see if anybody hits. If they do, then now you're turning, in, you're turning your uh, liability into an asset because uh, your house or your living dwelling could potentially give you funds that you can use for other things. Now, uh, that's cool. We're doing it. We're making money. What do you do with that money? So that's one of the questions that I have. Me personally, I'm the type where instead of using that money for just everyday life, again, this is a side hustle. I have my W-2 job that gives me access to paying my bills that I need to pay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What if you use that money for another cause? Maybe save it, purchase another type of asset, and just keep that cycle going. So big picture-wise, what I would like to do is save the funds that I'm getting from my side hustle and um, eventually save up for some sort of longer-term asset, such as maybe a, uh, uh, an investment property or something to that effect. So that's the first thing that I wanted to talk about. And I want to open up the floor to uh, you, Junior, as well as Chris, to see what you guys think about that concept. And is this something that more people could potentially do? Is this a right thing, a wrong thing? What do you think? I mean, just for me starting off, it definitely depends on your lifestyle. Are you able to kind of pack up and leave for the weekend if you want to rent it out? Um, 
are you little things like are you even clean enough like is your house clean enough to pack up and leave do you have stuff everywhere around does everything have its nice own organized place do you have the right furniture do you live in a high demand area does someone want to stay in your place if you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere you're not gonna get a lot of traffic of people who want to stay in your place for the weekend is there something that attracts people to your town do you live by the downtown area the city a place where there's a lot of meetings something that draws people into the weekend so it's a lot of criteria you have to meet but on the flip side i think that's pretty awesome if you can check those boxes off you do have a demand and you are able to leave for the weekend and you don't have kids you're able to just kind of pack up and go i think that's awesome i'm very very happy that you're able to do that and i wish i could do something like that that sounds very cool to where you can offset your mortgage almost just by doing that so that's really cool kudos to you and you're starting your own business <laughs> at the same time you get to make yourself a 1099 employee and then you get to open the door to all sorts of write-offs and everything you just got to make sure to do it the right way though i'm pretty sure you can only write off the percentage of time for your utilities that it's being used by the business so you can't write off the entire let's say month for internet it's got to be whatever percentage of the time so if 20 percent of the time you're using it as a business you can only write off 20 percent of internet so just go through dot all your i's cross all your t's make sure you're coming from good footing as far as writing off but definitely love the idea love what you've done with it so far great job Definitely echo what Christopher says. First off, again, we are not tax professionals, so make sure if you are going to be looking into something like this, you do consult your tax professional. I think for me, I think the biggest thing is, you know, if you're going to be doing it anyways, is there a way for you to be able to get paid for it? That's the biggest thing for the side hustle and looking at what your goals are for your side hustles. And I think that's how all individuals need to approach what their side hustle is so that you know what the end game is. I think also you've got to be able to figure out plan A, plan B, plan C. You know, you don't necessarily want to start off and go all in with your funds and your finances to be able to make something work. You want to be able to really sit down, plan it out. You want to make sure that it's scalable if it needs to and then have an exit strategy if it doesn't work. So I think for you, looking at housing, I think it's a very good point that you brought up that everybody does have housing. And since everybody does have housing, I think that it is desirable to go into those more desirable areas. Now, I think for your setup, your setup is very unique in the fact that when you have individuals staying at your primary residence, you know where do people go when people are staying at the primary residence. I think that depending on if it's the weekend and you have family and you have friends, then that is a way for you to be able to not have to worry about housing because you'll be staying somewhere else. So I think coming up with plans on one, when you have your schedule and you figure out when you are allowing for your house to be rented, do you have go-to people that you can go to and say, hey, all of a sudden, hey, this weekend is booked. 
hey, can I stay with you guys for the weekend? Does that work? Does it not work? So I think that would be interesting for you to tell the group, you know, what do you do once the house is booked about your primary staying situation? And I think number two, I think it definitely depends on where you are in your life. I think that with you and your personal situation, it works out. I think if you're single, it's probably the easiest thing because all you have to do is worry about yourself. If you have somebody else, now you've got two people that you need to talk to. But then once you have three people and four people, you have to really make sure that your backup plan of housing is going to make it worth it. Because if you're going to run out of place and then you got to find another place to stay at, is that relocation going to be worth what you'll be getting out of it. So tell us a little bit about how you go through that process because it's very interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> Initially, uh, I started off by, you know, I had a buddies and I explained to them what my experiment, if you will, was. And they were pretty excited and they're like, sure, yeah, we'll support you. So if you rent your place out, by all means, you can come and stay here. And so I, so I was doing that for a bit. And then eventually they kind of saw what I was doing and they were like, yo, I can do the same thing. And so we kind of teamed up and we were helping each other out. So if they rented their place out and they needed a place to stay, they could stay at my place if I wasn't renting it out. Back and forth, vice versa. We also played the, um, the money game where we were just balancing the checkbook, if you will. If I rented my place out for, let's X amount of dollars, as long as I find uh, a hotel that's cheaper, then the numbers work. And I was like, okay, let's do that. So I was doing that for uh, you know, a couple times uh, as well. But I eventually um, also decided to uh, purchase another place, which I'm using as my investment property. And that other place is a fixer-upper. And um, currently, I'm staying there right now, so it's been working out for me. But I do very well plan on getting this place uh, finished up and then on the market so I can rent it out. Uh, I don't know if you guys out there follow uh, Bigger Pockets, but there is a term called the Burr technique. I think it was coined by Brandon Turner or Josh Dorkin, one of the two. Anyways, uh, which is by rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. So I very, very much so plan on doing that uh, with this current uh, fixer-upper that I'm currently staying at, which I happen to own. That can be another discussion, another topic, another story. But yeah, I, I utilize a lot of different uh, avenues when it came to where I would stay. And also my wife's family... Uh, it's a little bit out of town, uh, an estate next over, but it actually worked out pretty well to the point where her mother would be like, oh, I hope you rent your place out so you can come and stay over at our place. <laughs> <laughs> so we were doing that for uh, quite a bit as well. But now that it's a weekday, um, I'm staying at my, uh, my fixer-upper right now. What recommendations would you have for people who want to do a similar setup as you? Well, my number one, well, I can't put this in no order, but one of the recommendations I would do is first, 
what Christopher brought up before is I think, again, I think most people can utilize their current living situations and see if it's possible to do some sort of um, house uh, sharing type of uh, business. So, for example, if you are staying in an apartment, possibly, maybe, you could put your uh, a room up. Let's say you have a two-bedroom. You can stay in one room and you can just rent the other room out, right? Or you can even go the uh, traditional old-fashioned way, which is just find a roommate as well to decrease the amount that you're paying uh, your bills for each month, your mortgage or the rent. Um, but in any situation, I think there is a way, if you are creative enough, to try to find a way to um, uh, to make a little extra money on the side. Because I think the major things, at least when I look at myself, what are the major things that kind of take away the finances each month? So housing, food, transportation. So I'm thinking of ways to decrease all three one at a time to help make myself more efficient um, as possible. What about specifically to the Airbnb, your place, I guess? What take-home tips have you learned that you feel would be, that you wish you would have known when you started this process that you feel like they should automatically think about if they're going to do their own process? So with Airbnb, the name of the game is cleanliness. So you have to keep your house at a pretty much clean state all the time. So that consists of having designated spots pretty much for everything. Let's say there are certain things that you like to use all the time and you only want to use it and you don't want to share it. That's, perp that's perfectly fine. Just understand that when it's time to rent the place out, you need an area that you can put your personal belongings, lock them up so that um, the guests who come in don't have any access to it. So I would say uh, a major thing, if you do plan on going the Airbnb route, is making sure you have a couple rooms in the house or like literally maybe a closet or your garage where you can put a lock on there that only you have the key so you can lock away your personal items that you don't want shared in the community space so that you know that those items are safe and that um, everything else, you have to understand that it will be communal. So other people will be able to use it and other people will probably use it too. All right, last question. So what do you do with like all your clothes and your wife's clothes and you know yeah. your personal toiletries? and Because you can't put everything in a garage and you can't put everything in a closet and go back and forth, or can you? Well, I mean, I guess that's where the whole concept of the minimalist thick ideas kind of come into fruition. So my wife and I, we initially had our own closets. But then once we started with this Airbnb question that turned into this Airbnb exper experiment, which turned into the Airbnb experience, um, we soon found out I'm that the best way to stuff. do this is to uh, have one closet that we share and we keep the other closet open. 
and that is how we are able to keep our personal items separate from the others. So we have an empty closet where the Airbnb guests come in, they can use. And then our personal closet, we lock the door and they don't have the key. Nobody has access to it except for us. And then we also have our garage and we use our, our garage could have been used to put other things, i.e. cars, but we don't put cars in our garage. We use that for um, storage space for things that we don't want out there when uh, guests come over. And we make sure we lock the garage uh, from both both sides, um, the inside as well as the outside. So it's off limits. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Man, that's good information. Gosh, I wish I would have done something like that when I was at your stage. I feel like in my stage, it's a little more difficult. I don't know if I would have enough room for people to be able to stay at while I was gone. You'd either have to lock too many stuff or I, I feel like I, it just wouldn't work for me. So I'm glad that you guys are doing it now. And it sounds like you're getting a pretty good return on your initial investment for your personal housing to now making it a nice hack that you'll be able to use for your future goals and careers and putting that investment into that. So that's awesome. Right. And, and I will say one more thing. I don't plan on doing this forever. This is just the state that I'm in now. Um, my wife and I, we don't have any children, so it's easy. But we do plan on transitioning out and, you know, essentially hanging up the keys and walking away from the whole Airbnb concept. But hopefully when that comes, we'll have um, investment properties that are fully functioning so that I'm essentially trading one investment for another investment. Oh, yeah, good sounds like you're making moves in the right direction. I definitely agree with Junior. It's definitely a lot tougher when you have kids involved. So keep keep getting at it while you can. And then just whenever your situation evolves, you got to evolve with it as far as investment strategies. So, yeah, for make sure, do with what sure. you got. So enough talking about my situation. I want to hear about your guys' situation. So I'm going to turn the mic over to Junior. Let me know what's going on with you. What have you been doing for your side hustles? I think for me, so my biggest thing was, again, what can I do with time, finding investments? And I was looking at something more for a long-term situation that would help give me the opportunity to have passive income from now for all of eternity. So I went the real estate route. So I decided to get myself a rental property. And I think for me, it was when all three of us really started exchanging ideas and thoughts on what are we going to do? How are we going to be able to fund the lifestyle that we want and have? How are we going to be able to take care of our family? And how can we do that as simply as possible? So I remember when we were all growing up that dad had a copy of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad audiobook. I guess it was an audio. I guess it was an audio book. I guess that was, yeah, because we, we played the tape and we would listen to it. We had all these lessons. So I guess it was an audio book. So we just happened to stumble across it. And I really didn't think much about it until maybe a couple of years ago. And then a couple of years ago, we were talking about real estate and what can we do with real estate. So started listening again to Bigger Pockets, gave you guys the info about Bigger Pockets, started trying to figure out what can I do with rental portfolios. 
So for me, my thing was the state of where I am in my life. I wanted to try to find something as passive as, as possible. I did not want the people who are renting the house for me to even know who I am. I wanted to work behind the scenes and just collect checks at the end of the day. So for me, it was, all right, where are we going to find a place that is affordable for me to be able to own, but yet still make a profit for renting it out? And I learned that with the amount of money that I wanted to put in, where we live in South Florida, if you were to try to find a place like that, that would not be a safe environment. So doing more reading, doing research, we realized that, you know, there are opportunities for you to still make investments, but you may have to look at other states. So doing long distance owning. And for me, I decided to try to do research on the different locations based on of how affordable it was to purchase houses. And for me, I actually do have a rental property in Tennessee, in Memphis, Tennessee. It is one of the more affordable areas. I was able to get a four bedroom, one bathroom house for something that is equivalent to maybe what I would be able to get a one bedroom. I, would, I don't even know if I'd be able to get a one bedroom for <laughs> For that price down in South Florida. So for me, it was looking out of state. So the process that I used for that is first, I wanted to determine where is the market that I want to look at. Once I determined that, once I figured out how much houses cost in that market, then it was trying to find a real estate agent that would be able to help me figure out what areas would work. The one fear that a lot of people have with real estate and investment properties is if you can't see it, then it's scary. And it's so different nowadays with modern technology, with the internet, with Zillow, with all these different search engines and sites, you could actually take a look, see the property, be able to do like an aerial view, do Google Earth, figure out how things look like, figure out what the demographics are without leaving your house. So that is something that I really relied on. And then also trying to find a real estate agent that was an investor real estate agent who personally did real estate. So they understood what I was looking for and somebody that I was able to form a relationship with, because really, if you think about it, I'm kind of trusting this individual to help me validate the things that I'm looking online as far as crime rates, safety, easeability of being able to rent once you have it, finding tenants and not having to worry about being in a high crime area. So for me, going through that process, it was literally just emailing people, setting up appointments, talking to them, asking them about their philosophy of being a realtor, asking them about their philosophy about being an investor and finding somebody who fit what I was looking for. So I was able to do that. I found my person who I trusted. Then this individual started sending me out houses. You know, we kind of looked at the prices. We looked at the house, the rentability, and he kind of came up with, these are all the houses that I recommend. And for me, my thing was, again, I wanted to do as little work as possible. So I was asking my real estate agent, you know, are there any houses that actually have tenants currently living in there? And do you know any 
good management companies, rental property management. So for me, I was fortunate in the fact that the house that I chose had a tenant already living there. The tenant was a long, I think the tenant's been there for like four or five years, treated the house like their own. And the rental property management company was the company that was there with that tenant for that same amount of time. So for me, I was very fortunate because I was able to have the individual who was my real estate agent. That person hooked me up with finding somebody for financing. I went through a conventional loan. That person was then able to help me find a house with a tenant in it. And then as I interviewed the individual who did property management, I realized that this property management team was a good team. They knew what they were talking about. Their philosophies fit in line with what I was looking for, which was pretty much don't call me. <laughs> don't spend more than I really need to. If, if you need to spend above a certain amount, let me know. But ideally, if I do need to fix something, it shouldn't be more than the amount that I will receive in my rent payments so that I am able to still cash flow positively. So in doing all that stuff, I've gotten the house since the month of September. I started collecting rents in October, November. And right now we're in the month of March. And it's nice because, again, every month I get a paycheck even after paying off the mortgage, property taxes, insurance, and the 10% rental property management fee, and then anything that may need to be fixed up in the house, all that stuff is taken care of, and I still get a profit every month, which is really nice. And then my eventual goal is that, you know, when I retire, all the rental properties that I receive are going to be paid for. So then all I get is just the only P, the fees that I have to pay for will probably be just the property management fee, and then taxes and insurance that's about it so that's what the name of the game is for me very nice nice solid 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 chris <clears throat> how about you man no questions for me jeez i feel ripped wow. off <laughs> skimming well, right past through you that. were extremely thorough like i don't know what to ask um why well, tennessee why did you choose tennessee then that's my question how did again, you choose your market yeah, so a, a lot of it was based off really strictly on how much can I get for a certain price tag. So for me, my price range right now is around the $50,000 mark, maybe not more than sixty. So maybe between forty and sixty, because you don't want it too low, because if it's too low, then the type of people who are going to rent may not take care of it. But you don't want to be so high to the point where you're not getting cash flow. You don't, you know, you want the tenant to help pay down the mortgage, but cash flow is the name of the game for me. And I wanted to make sure that I had opportunities to be able to make that. So for me, again, being able to find a four bedroom, one bathroom house, you know, for in the fifties, you know, you can't find that everywhere in the country. But why not Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Nebraska? Like what made you choose Tennessee is what I'm getting at. Yeah, pretty much it was, you know, Googling like all the different real estate podcasts that I listened to. I would listen to so Kathy Vetke, she's one of the real estate individuals that I listened to. She her one of her podcasts is the Real Worth Network and Real Estate News is another one. And when I heard her interviewing some individuals they had mentioned a couple of those areas. So then it was just me 
looking at each of those areas and trying to figure out where I can get more bang for my buck. So it was, again, referrals from looking at that. And then Norada Real Estate was another place that I took a look at because they had some, they have a podcast and they also have a website and they recommended Memphis, Tennessee as one of the up and coming markets and one of the more affordable areas. So it's trying to do research by using the internet, looking for what you want and seeing what you get from it. I like how you mentioned, it's kind of like you painted what your end goal was from the beginning. Uh, the, the first question is, are you, will you give yourself some wiggle room to kind of morph and change? Do you think you'll change as you continue to mature and progress? And then the second comment, not really a question, is I, I like the concept that you were kind of talking about retirement. And so, you know, we're all millennials, right? Will Social Security be around when it's actually our turn to retire? And I am not convinced that it will. But what I like that you're doing is you're kind of creating your own Social Security no matter what. So you're going to be set, which is phenomenal. So back to the first question. Um, how set in stone are you that this is your game plan and can it morph or change? I think for me, what my goal is, is to do the whole maybe one real estate property per year is what my goal is. So a lot of that is going to be based on how am I going to be able to acquire the funds to be able to make a down payment for that? So for me, it's this price point that I have now would probably be the price point that I use for now, you know, as the real estate investments, maybe as they start getting paid off or as I start getting more rents, maybe with the proceeds of those rents, maybe I'm able to put it to, to allow it to go to a different price range. So a lot of it is, this was my first experience so far, knock on wood, it's been a pretty positive experience. So I feel like I would want to try to replicate this experience but I think a lot of that is going to be based off of what happens in the next upcoming months. Again, for me, this was literally as turnkey as you can make it. The tenant was already in there. The tenant had good history. I haven't had any issues. So for me, this seems like a pretty good formula. The amount that I put down, the cash flow that I'm getting, my plan on paying it off. And by the time I retire, that all works. But, you know, can things change in the future? I mean... If I get another person, this that experience is drastically different, then maybe it'll make me reevaluate things. But for now, for me, I look to probably stay in that area because, you know, ideally I'd like to maybe have the same property management group look at all of the properties that I own. And I just like everything in one area so that it's all there. It's all easy. I can see it all. I get checks from the same person at once. But again, a lot of it just depends on how things go. I think part of trying to make it as easy as possible is coming up with processes that are simple. And for me, at this point in my life, I think it would be difficult for me to have either different rental property management groups, then that's different people that I have to contact and that adds more work. And for me, again, I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. So for me, it works for now. 
you know, maybe based off of where the property management group services, you know, if they service a large geographic area, then maybe I use that. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. And for me, my whole thing was I did not want analysis paralysis. A lot of it is just at the end of the day, you can research as much as you can. You can read everything you can listen to podcasts, but the best teacher is going to be experienced. And I think once you actually go in and you do it, then you feel like you have somewhere to be able to ex- have, use your experiences from. The second point that you brought up with the social security with the investment. Yeah, like I think for me, my investment profile or my investment style that I have is I'm very much slow and steady wins the race. You know, I would rather start early and use time as my gift for compounding interest. And, you know, in addition to that, I do want to diversify. So going into the stock market, I think is probably going to be one of the areas that I look at, but I think rental property is another area. And for me, it's a nice it's a nice hedge on not putting all your eggs in one basket. You know, if things go down with the stock market, the fact that I have real estate that can help me out. If the real estate market is down and stocks are up, then that's a good thing. And at the end of the day, kind of like what you're saying is no matter where you are, somebody's got to live somewhere and real estate does appreciate. So, between stocks and real estate for me for now, that is a pretty good way for me to be able to diversify. And then, yes, me being able to live off of those funds is an opportunity for me to kind of have like my own Social Security. We can have another topic on Social Security. Do I think it'll go away 100%? I don't think it'll go away 100%, but I think maybe the amounts that we'll get won't be the same amount as what maybe what our parents will have and their parents had and what grandma has. I know I think it'll just they'll probably decrease the amount that they'll be able to give because that's all about, again, they're investing all that money into mutual funds and based on rates of returns, you know, they'll probably, instead of guaranteeing a hundred percent, maybe it's going to be 75% of what it was, 50% of what it was so that they still divide it out. But again, like I said, that's a different conversation for a different day. I mean, just a small echo. I also think that, um, there'll be phase outs. They're slowly hinting at it. If you make X amount of money, um, they'll make it in such a way that there's a tax on the social security, but then you end up with a washout of zero. So there'll probably be a phase out with how much your net worth is, how much your income is at retirement. It's not going to completely go away, but the amount of people that get it and its reach will definitely diminish. So yeah, yeah. Or even the age that you can start getting it you know, if you like right now, they have it. Whereas if you're 60, if you're 62, you can get it. But the amount that you get is definitely a lot different than when you're 70. And I think 70 is the is when you have to take it by, I think. So I think they'll probably change around those numbers so that you is so that it'll be advantageous. Because if you think about Social Security, too, I mean, yeah, the later you are in life when you claim it, the more you get. But then if you think about it, you won't be alive as long and you won't be able to collect as much. So even though they give you more, you will probably maybe get less than what you would have gotten if you got it sooner because you're not alive long enough to be able to capitalize. But like I said, that's a different conversation. <laughs> let's go to you because if we can keep on talking. That'll be another podcast in itself. 
So mine definitely isn't as passive as yours guys is. Um, I'm not just at that point yet in my life. Uh, mine's more a little more traditional as far as side hustles. So basically what I'm doing is extra clinical duties or moonlighting. Um, basically with that, what I'm able to do is I was hired by um, a different hospital. It's not the hospital that I receive my salary from as a resident. It's a hospital. It's a different hospital, but it's affiliated with the program. So all the same doctors, all the same physicians, attendings, et cetera. And basically... I cover shifts in the OR, and I get paid an hourly rate. So I do my normal day-to-day resident duties. Um, once I'm dismissed to go home, certain days of the week, I can choose to take an extra call shift to supplement my income. So it's still traditional as far as there's no scalability. Um, I'm not able to trade. Uh, I'm basically trading time for dollars. So this definitely is not something I want to be doing for the long term. It's just something that I'm doing in the immediate future now to build up some funds. And my goal is to follow you guys and jump into the real estate game, uh, preferably the burr with, um, I think he calls it the step ladder. I forgot what he calls it. Uh, where first you do one one year, then two the next year, then four the next year. So my ideal goal would be at least the first phase would be the rapid acquisition phase. Like get as many houses as I can, any profits that I have, put it into a fund and release that fund and acquiring even more houses, kind of like a snowball effect. And maybe once I get to a certain point in my life, kind of, pause the expansion phase and then start kind of coming back and paying off all kind of going back to what you were saying junior with paying off all the mortgages and having everything free and clear and then just being done after that let's go back to i think the route that you're doing right now for your side hustle is probably the easiest thing to do because not necessarily the most passive but the easiest thing to do that most people can probably identify with because of the fact that you know it's time it's work you know if you do a job then you can get paid for it and it's just based on how much time you're being able to do that so i guess for me talk me through you know you you could have done anything for you know being able to do more work what made you decide to do move to use your side hustle in the career that you're currently doing versus doing something else so it's a lot of things one is i want to do something that i'm good at that i like doing and that is reimbursed well um i didn't want to choose something along the lines of driving an Uber, mowing the lawns, um, kind of delivering for Instacart, et cetera, et cetera. There's a different, there's a ton of different jobs that you can do, but this one kind of focuses on my expertise, um, which I'm also a step ahead of the game because the training that I'm going through in life is exactly training for this. So it kind of cuts out the competition. I'm in a smaller pool of qualified applicants and it also is 
kind of extra schooling and training for when I'm done with residency. It's still residency. I'm still learning to practice anesthesia by doing this. So definitely reinforces uh, the studying and whatever skills I'm developing. I'm already here, so there's no commute. That's a nice part of it. Um, and it's working with the same group of individuals and still able to supplement my income. So that's definitely why I chose that one. And that's where I was trying to get at is for our audience who wants to look at where do I start? What ideas do you have to pick up extra jobs? And I think that one of the number one things you can look at is what you're currently doing, because what you're currently doing is going to be something that you have experienced. You're not necessarily going to have to learn from scratch. The learning curve is going to be very quick. It's not going to be a very large learning curve. And because you already do it and you already know how to do it, you probably have contacts of individuals that can help get you right in. So I think when you are trying to find an opportunity to be able to pick up a side hustle, number one would be, can you do it in the area that you're already working in? I think for different individuals who work an hourly job, sometimes they're able to pick up overtime because it is time and a half. And sometimes these employers may be looking for people and maybe it's easier to have somebody who is on your staff work overtime than trying to hire somebody who is not on staff, try to get them through training, trying to teach them how to do the processes that you need to do. And then after that, then making sure that they're working there enough so that they maintain those skills. So I think number one, trying to find something that you're currently doing would work. And then number two, then I think looking at if it's not what you're currently doing in your profession, is it something that you've done before or is it something that you have passion with? And I think for Marvin and I, you know, real estate is something that we're passionate about. We were able to figure it out. So I think when we were able to do that, that was something that was pretty easy for us. What other things would you think of or recommendations that you would give our audience as far as how to pick up side hustles? What things, if it's going to be more of you working to be able to get your side hustle income? So, I mean, for me, uh, I'm coming from the medical perspective, uh, some sort of residency, dentist, podiatrist, physician, pharmacist. That's usually what I'm, that's all I know. So that's kind of always what I'm laser focused on. You have your traditional stuff as driving for Uber, Lyft, doing the Uber Eats. Um, they have Instacart, which is a grocery delivery service. But kind of for more of the people in the medical background, there's stuff like, if you're a resident or you already went through the schooling, there's always some undergraduate student who wants to be in your position. So using your life experiences, tutoring whatever preparatory classes that they need to get into whatever schooling they need. So for an example for me is I have to take a test called the MCAT, which was the medical school application test. So uh, someone as a resident who's clearly not only got into medical school, past medical school, and is now in residency, would have an awesome resume to teach the, um, the course needed for to get into medical school to pass the medical uh, entrance exam. So private tutoring. Um, you can do something along the lines of teaching the BLS, ACLS. Those are the certifications we have to have 
um, kind of the CPR or whatever for layman's terms. So you're definitely more than qualified to teach those classes. Those are low, um, low demand as far as on your time. You can do it one week in a month and you stay resident up to date. You should be yourself have taken this course multiple times and you should know the ins and outs of BLS. So that's something that should be very easy for you to teach. Um, something a little harder, telemedicine. I feel like that's more for senior residents or attendings. Uh, coaching, counseling, fitness coaching, those are things that it's more of your personal skill, how verbal you are, your life experiences. Uh, all of us played sports growing up. You can either be a personal trainer to a high school athlete, just whatever skills you have. Look at what makes you, what you think you're good at, and how you can pass it on to someone else. Because there should always usually be someone who wants to be where you're at. If you just take the time to find an audience, market yourself to help get people to where you are now, you can even make money off of that. There's even medical scribes, someone who just does the notes. The medical student, the resident, that's 90% of what you're doing is notes all day. You don't realize that you can do a note 30 times faster than an attending it can who's in the last half of their career. So you can come into their office and literally do all of their charting for them in a fraction of the time and still get paid for it. So it's a win-win. So you just got to look for whatever skills you have, even if it's something you don't think is special, and you can monetize it. Man, I'm looking at the time. We can go on and on and on, but I figure it's time for us to wrap it up. So we're going to do what we normally do with this series Marvin, what are some take-home points that you can give to our MVP crew? Like I was saying before in life, the one thing that I think is common that everybody can experience is time. And time is something that you can't get back. It's the one thing that you can't buy. Therefore, I think it's important to set up situations now so that you can get that most precious commodity uh, later on. And a great way to do that is through investments. Good to fur. Take home points. Um, definitely, if you don't have the money to start up whatever investment that you have in the future, you still have some sort of skills. Look at what skills you have and find out how you can use that to help other people and make some money while you're doing it at the same time. And I think for me, it's looking at what your end goal is. What are you trying to do? Why are you doing it? And use that as your motivation to figure out how to get it done. And then also knowing what your style is when it comes to your side hustle. Are you one that, are you an idea type of person? Do you want to be hands-on? Do you want to be hands-off? So figuring out what you want to get out of what you're trying to do so that you can find a side hustle that best suits you because it's going to be important based on where you are in your life. It's going to be important on what significant others or other outside forces that may dictate what you can and can't do. And then also at the end of the day, you know, you probably do have a, you know, typical W-2, 9-to-5 job. So what can you fit in to be able to make that side hustle work? Any other news, guys, before we wrap it up? No, that's about it. All right, guys. Well, again, it's been a blast. 
Thank you, America. Thank you, MVPers out there for tuning in for another episode for the Marcelin Brothers podcast. If you thought that this episode was great, please, please, please make sure you subscribe to whatever avenue that you listen to podcasts. Also, if you want to get at us for any questions, I think one of the things that I want to do at some point is have a session of asking the Marcelin Brothers. So you can email us your questions, comments, thoughts, or concerns to marcelinbrothers at gmail.com or just write a comment in the section where you subscribe to the podcast that you listen to. There's nothing else. We will see you guys next time. Thank you, audience. You guys are amazing. And I think we are out. All right. Talk to you all later. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Marston Brothers Podcast. And remember, do work and make a difference in somebody's life.